Welcome to another inspirational teaching by Pastor Mike Foreman, Senior Pastor of the First Baptist Church of Level Plains. For more information about Pastor Mike and the church, please visit our website at www.fbclp.life. Let's join Pastor Mike now as he shares from God's Word. Well, we are in our series called Character Sketches, and we're continuing to look at some Old Testament characters and begin to see what can we learn from their lives in order to apply to our lives in order that we would be more like Jesus in the process of our, our Christian walk. And we've been looking at one character for the past couple of weeks, and that's King David. And King David was a man after God's own heart. God selected him to be the second king of Israel. Uh, he was selected and anointed when he was just but a lad. And many of us know a little bit about David's life because we know that he slayed a giant uh, when he was just a lad. And uh, the Bible gave, uh, said that God gave him a great victory over uh, Goliath. And Goliath fell and we talked and we applied uh, that to our lives. But then last week, we saw how God's own man fell into gross sin. And, uh, you know, we, we said, and I hope that you really took away the truth of what I said last week, that, that but by the grace of God, so go I. You know, that we should never reach the place where we think, it'll never happen to me. I'll, I'll never do that. Uh, because the truth of the matter is, the moment we say that, we've challenged not only the flesh and the world, but we've challenged the devil And uh, I'm sure to tell you that things will come our way that will tempt us and try us, and we will certainly fall if we walk in slippery places, and so we must be very careful, amen? And so we sort of left David as sort of a dismal life, isn't it? And one thing I didn't say last week that I want to say this week, and I want to just sort of put the premise out in the front. We're going to talk sort of, we're going to talk about confession today and repentance and but one of the things I want to just say up front, because I don't want to forget to say it, number one. Second of all, I want you to write it down because it's so crucial. And here it is. David's going to pray for repentance. God's going to offer forgiveness and repentance. But listen, God does not wipe away the consequence. Amen. And I want you to understand that because here's the reality of it. From the time of 2 Samuel chapter 11 through the rest of David's life, it was misery. He paid the consequence for disobedience. Listen, the reason why I say that is because I hear people say, and it just blows my mind that people would say that, I know I'm wrong, but God will forgive me. Well, first of all, (laughs) first of all, that should not be a Christian attitude. All right? A Christian should never say, well, God's going to forgive me, so I'm going to do it anyway. Because, first of all, you need to read in Hebrews where God says he looks at sin a little different when you, when you say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it anyway and God will forgive me, all right? God looks at deliberate sin a whole lot different than he does when we slip and we fall, amen? So, so you need to read the book of Hebrews and find out, hey, if I'm going to live with that attitude, <laughs> there's, a, there's a harsher judgment there. Plus, how can that really be the, the mind of a Christian unless they've drifted so far out of the fellowship with God? And if they have, I pray that God would bring them back. <laughs> to their senses because that's not the place to be. So today we're going to sort of talk about repentance and I wanted you to just know that up front. You know, I'm an iPhone user. I I like using my iPhone. And uh, about uh, two months ago, I got into an argument with my 
Uh, I hate to say it was an argument, but I guess it was. Uh, I got into an argument with my son Richard. Richard has special needs, and, and uh, he has Asperger's, and he, um, he gets fixated on things. And so he got fixated on uh, Android phones. And so he did all this research on Android phones and compared them against iPhones. And uh, I don't, I don't, Chad's in the house. Maybe he can speak to this, but, um, you know, since he deals with this for a living. But he argued with me about, you know, a hundred ways that the Android phone is better than the iPhone. And so we, we argued in the car. Well, he argued with me, really. I mean, he was just like, it's better, it's better. He kept pushing and pushing. And finally, I said, look, I don't want to argue anymore about this. You know, you like your phone, I like my phone. And basically, that's, that's it, right? I mean, isn't that the truth? I mean, how many iPhone users we got in the house? Raise your, raise your hand. All right. All right. How many Android users? Well, y'all are a bunch of goats. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, but uh, so uh, anyway, so it's just all personal preference, right? But, but I'm going to tell you that there's two things they have in common. And that is this. There are times when you need this blasted little smartphone to work and it doesn't. And what do you have to do? You have to restart the phone. I'm going to tell you, sort of in the life of David, what we see in Psalm 51 is him asking for God to do a restart. He's not asking for God, listen, he's not asking God to resave him. He's not asking for God to say, hey, you know, now, now you're once again a man in my own heart. That's not what he's doing. Listen, if you're a believer in here and you are in sin and you ask for God's forgiveness, you're not asking God to save you again. Listen, we believe, the Bible teaches eternal security. The Bible teaches that when you have been saved, when God has bought you by the blood of Christ and you become his child, listen, nothing can take you out of his hand. Not even yourself. All right? If you're a true believer. Now, what about those people that John talked about who fall away? They were, went out from us but never were of us. Those are people who truly weren't saved. They weren't believers. And so it shouldn't be a surprise that they left us. And so iPhone versus Android, it's just a matter of restart. So we're going to talk about a restart today from Psalm 51. So take your Bible and look at Psalm 51 with me. And I want to just point out four facts uh, for us this morning. And then uh, we're going to uh, sort of wrap it up. So here we are. David has had this affair with Bathsheba. Remember that it wasn't just an affair. Remember, too, that it went a step further that Uriah the Hittite, her husband, was sent to the front line by the order of King David. When the battle got fierce, they pulled back and left him on his own. And guess what? He died. <laughs> right? So David was, was a accessory to murder. It's his devised plan. And so now, here we are a year later. It, it tells us at the, at the inscription of this psalm that it was a psalm born out of the time that that Nathan would come and point his bony finger in the face of David and said, you're the man. You're the sinner. You're the one who took another man's sheep by force and had him killed. You're the guy. And it said that that time period was about a year. So David is living a life like an unbeliever holding on to sin for about a year. Think about that. And, and in that period of time, in that year, you can imagine that, that you can become callous and, and hard. And, and we saw that last week. We talked about how David finally moved to that place where he was callous, where they came back and they reported that the battle was fierce. Uriah the Hittite is dead. He's like, well, you know, people just die in battle. No big deal. You know, he had no sympathy, no remorse, nothing in his heart that said, you know, 
Maybe I should feel sorry. After all, I did this to the guy. No, nothing like that. Just nonchalant. Let's press on. And so now we see him a year later, and God's got a hold of his heart because God has used a godly man to come and in his boldness, and we don't have time to talk about Nathan, I wish we did, because we could talk about how to confront people in their sin, because that's what exactly Nathan does, and it takes some courage to do that, but it takes grace, and it takes love, and it, and it takes mercy to be able to do that. And so here we find David giving us sort of a, an inside view. We don't get many inside views of each other, do we? But here God gives us an inside view of David and what's running through his heart and his mind as he's trying to restart his life with God and get it right. And so we pick up in verses 1 and 2, and we see David's plea. Notice David's plea as he, as he talks with God. First of all, his appeal to mercy. Listen, he says to God, have mercy upon me, O God. Now I'm going to tell you, let me, just, let me just put it out there, okay? This is the starting place where you, wherever you may be in your sin. Mercy. Let me tell you, but by the grace of God, right? So go I. But also, listen, it's by the mercy of God that I will find forgiveness. David is throwing himself upon the mercy. Listen, throw yourself upon the mercy of God. God is a merciful God. David knew this. Because after all, did David seek out to be a man after God's own heart? No, God sought him out. You remember the prophet came looking and all these boys came before him. And he kept saying, no, that's not the one. That's not the one. And he got down to them all and he said, do you not have any kid left in the house? He said, well, I got this little scrawny boy. <laughs> he's cute. He's good looking, but he's out tending sheep. He said, go get him and bring him home. Bring him home. He said, that's the man after God's own heart. That's the guy we're going to use. Saul had rejected God. The spirit had left him. God was going to anoint David. He was going to be the next king of Israel. He wasn't seeking for that. So David knew all about mercy. He knew about all about God moving in his life and God doing some extraordinary things in his life. He didn't slay a giant just because he had the courage that we talked about. Listen, God was with him. And so listen, if you're in sin this morning, the first thing you need to do is you need to cry out upon the mercy of God because God is merciful. I don't know why it is as believers we get this attitude that when we sin, we can't go before God. Like we got to hide from God. And by the way, that's what we've been doing from time that sin entered the world. Anyway, Adam and Eve, first reaction. What do they do? They hid themselves from God in their sin rather than leaning upon God's mercy. Realizing that God is a merciful God. God is not willing necessarily to give you what you deserve when you come in repentance. And so we come and we ask God, forgive me, not because I deserve it. Yes, I'm a sinner. Yes, I deserve the punishment. Yes, I deserve the consequences. But God, I'm calling upon your mercy to do something in my life. Amen? Because I know that God is merciful. You say, you sure are preaching a lot about that, preacher. Well, let me tell you something. That's where I rest. That's where I rely upon when I go before God and say, God, I blew it big time. Will you please give me your mercy? And that's where you ought to begin. And so David pleads upon the mercy of God. But that's not all he does. Look back at verses 1 and 2. And he says, have mercy upon me, O God. Then he says this, according to what? Your loving kindness. Now he's talking about God's, not only his mercy, but now his faithfulness and his compassion. Right? So he's saying, God, you are merciful, but you are also this loving kindness. By the way, loving kindness was a, a term that they used in Israel about this covenant-keeping God, this faithful God, this one who would not forsake his people, would not leave his children. And even though they were not heads, weren't they? Boy, you look at the nation of Israel, they did all kinds of crazy sins. 
And yet God continues to have mercy. God continues to be faithful to them. God continues to rescue them time and time and time again. Even though he puts them in bondage, he takes them back out. It's amazing what God has done for them. But then he says, not only is God this faithful God, but he says, according to your tender mercies. Listen, that's compassion. Aren't you glad God has compassion? I love it when David later says, God is mindful that we are but dust. (laughs) Aren't you glad God remembers that? Because I don't know about you, I'm frail. Amen? Are you frail? Do you find times that 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 dust really pops its head? You know? We got little dust bunnies coming out. (laughs) We do, because we sin. And so he calls upon God. He pleads with God, God, Give me your mercy because you're faithful and you're compassionate. Now listen, that's a God I can pray to when I'm in, in trouble. Amen? That's a father I can run to when I've blown it big. Because I know that when I have a heart of repentance, he's not going to cast me out. He's going to take me in. And yes, he may spank me. Yes, he may let me have the consequence of my sin. But he's going to restore me. Because he is merciful, because he is loving, because he is compassionate. Oh, dear Christian, don't run from God. Run to him. Run to him. And listen what he says in verse 2. He says, well, the end of verse 1, he says, first of all, blot out my transgression. Erase it, God. Take it away. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. It's like washing a stain out of clothes. And he says, and cleanse me from my sin. That is, purify me, God. See, David went to God's mercy and his loving kindness and his compassion. And what was he looking for? Was he looking for an excuse to continue to sin? No. He was looking for judgment? No. He was looking for God to clean him. Because here's, here's a wonderful truth. You and I can't purge ourselves of our own sin. And you know, I know that to be a reality because listen, in my life and in your life, there's times where we say, I'm not going to do that again. I'm just going to, I'm not going to do it again. And guess what? Boom. You did it again. You ever slap yourself in the head and go, how did I do that? How did I end up here? Here I am doing the very same thing again. I said I wasn't going to do. And now I'm doing it again. Listen, it's God. Listen, it's God that we ought to rely upon to blot it out, to wash it. And to what? Purify us. Cleanse it out of our lives. God can do it. God will do it if we will but rely upon him. He's the one that changes my life. Amen? Stop trying on your own. You can't make it on your own. You have to rely upon the Lord. And the Holy Spirit that he's given to you will empower you and enable you to live this godly life. And to receive this repentance and this mercy of God that will change you from the inside out. We sing a song, I think, something like that, don't we? And that's true. So here he begins to move in verse 3. He talks about his plea, but then he begins to sort of petition, right? He begins to sort of pour out his heart more in a petition to God. Listen to what he says beginning in verse 3. First of all, or excuse me, confession. I, I mean, I said petition. I mean confession. That's coming. I'm moving ahead of myself, trying to trying to rush. We got these meetings today, but listen to what he says in, in verse three. First of all, this confession, as he confesses in verse three, he acknowledges, listen, I want you to understand something. He acknowledges his sin, right? Notice what he says, for I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is always before me. 
David was upfront, straight and honest. God, I've, I've sinned. It's out in front of me. God, I see it. I see it for what it is. I acknowledge it for what it is. And how could he forget? Just a few weeks after his son is born, he's dead. How could he forget to, to remember that he played the party of having Uriah the Hittite killed? That would forever be etched in his mind and his heart that he was a part of that. How, how could he forget that when he was supposed to be where kings were, out to war, that he was looking over his balcony and he was in lust with a woman? How could he forget? And how could he forget when the rest of his life was lived in misery because of the consequence of his own sin? Think about that. He says, it was ever before me. He says, Lord, I acknowledge it. I'm not trying to hide it. God, I just acknowledge it. Listen, if you're going to ask God for forgiveness, let's quit playing these little games. You know, we pray these prayers, God, forgive us if I've done anything wrong. Well, sure you have. You know you have. You know, why do we, why do we play those games? I, you know, when, when the kids break a lamp in the house, I don't want them to come and say, oh, Dad, forgive me. You know, something happened in the house. Yeah, let me tell you what happened in the house. You broke the lamp. Right? Fess up. Acknowledge your sin. Call it for what it is. I tell you, we're living in a society. Listen, we're living in a society and nobody wants to take responsibility. They want to do whatever they want to do, but they don't want any responsibility. And neither do they want the consequence of that responsibility. We need to call it what it is. He says, sin. <laughs> he said, I acknowledge it, Lord. It's before me. I know what I've done. And if he didn't know what he'd done, he certainly got pointed out by Nathan, didn't it? <laughs> Nathan sure pointed his finger at him and said, hey, this is what I've done. So he acknowledges his sin. But, but notice he goes on, he acknowledges the guilt of that sin in verse 4. He says, and against you and you only have I sinned and done. And notice he says, this evil in your sight. Listen, sin is not something beautiful. It's evil. And every time we sin, whether it's tell a lie, whether it's murder, it's evil in the sight of God. And he says, against you, God, against you only have I sinned. Now, did he sin against Uriah? Certainly he did. Did he, did he sin against Bathsheba? Certainly he did. But listen, he realizes, he acknowledges that the greatest sin of all is his transgression before God and that he has not obeyed the Lord. And he says, I have sinned. He said, and done this evil in your sight. He says in verse four, that you may be found just when you speak. Listen, when God speaks about our sin and God calls it for what it is, we can't look at God and go, hey God, now that's, that's, that's not what it is. No, he says, it is what it is. So God, when you speak, when you judge me, when you cast and look at me and say, hey, this is what you have done and this is wrong. Listen, you are right in what you say. And not only that, when you punish me, listen, the end of verse four, when you punish me, you are blameless when you judge me. David said, when God points the finger at me, and he did through Nathan, he can't look at Nathan and go, Nathan, you're out of line. You better back up, bucko. I'm the king. There's no prophet going to come in my house and tell me I'm doing wrong. Listen, is that how we get our attitudes? When we get confronted with our sin, and what do we do? Oh, it's your fault. <laughs> or you're not going to do that to me. You're not going to speak to me that way. And we start projecting it on somebody else. 
David says, listen, against God, I've sinned. I realize that. I acknowledge that. And so if God speaks into my life and says, hey, bucko, that's sin. You better deal with that sin. And he calls it out for what it is. God is right to speak. And listen, if he punishes me because of that, he is blameless when he does that. I have nobody to blame but myself. Listen, when I spanked my children when they were growing up, and yes, we used spanking in my house. Listen, when they did wrong, I didn't even fret about spanking them. Listen, sometimes they need a whipping. Amen. And I found, I found in my household that when I spanked my kids once, I normally didn't have to do it another time. Amen? Because once they know a parent means it, they usually will follow through. Amen? I mean, that's just a reality. Some of you parents may not practice spanking. Y'all ought to get a belt. Get a wooden spoon. That's what our pediatrician told us to use. James Dobson said, don't use your hand because you want your hand to be an extension of love. Use, use something else. And sometimes you need to spank. You say, oh, that's bad advice. I don't care if you think it's bad advice. It's biblical advice. Spare the rod, spoil the child. There's times you've got to spank your children. Amen. Amen? Amen? And sometimes, listen, the Bible says God disciplines those whom he loves. And when God does that, listen, God is blameless. <laughs> it's not God's fault. It's my fault. So he, he acknowledges not only, listen... Not only his sin, not only does he recognize his guilt, but notice in verse 5 and 6, because it's very interesting, because he acknowledges his inherent, his inherent problem with sin. See, all of us have the same condition. Notice what David says in verse 5. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. Now, he's not saying that his mom did something illegitimate. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is that all of us are born in sin. He's acknowledging that. It it is a reality that Paul talked about in Romans, right? That all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We are all born infected with a disease called sin. And so he says, I was born infected with a disease called sin. Now, David's not saying, so therefore I couldn't help myself. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is, because I am infected with sin, I became a sinner to a point of grossness where I need the mercy of God because if I don't have the mercy of God in my life and the kindness of God and the compassion of God, then guess what? I will remain in this sinful condition and I will perish and be lost forever. You with me? So David is not trying to excuse his sin by saying, well, God, I couldn't help myself. That's just who I am, like people do today. I can't help myself. That's just who I am. Well, bless God, Jesus saved you to change you from who you are, to make you more like him. Amen? So we should not be the same. We should be different, and we should ever be changing and ever be different as we live our lives as Christians. Amen? Amen. And so he says, this is the state I was in, and he says in verse 6, he says, Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part, he said, you will make me to know wisdom. So he says, what you really desire, God, is not for me to act on this sinful nature, but what you really desire is for a transformation on the inside. And God, guess what? You, he says, you will do it. You will make this change on the inside. You will bring me to wisdom. And wisdom, if you parallel that in the scripture, is godly living. It's biblical living right? It's taking the word of God and applying it in the right way in your life. How does that happen? You become a Christian. You're a follower of Christ. The Holy Spirit comes inside you. He teaches you, brings you to remembrance all things that Jesus said. He brings up the word of God. He helps you to divide it rightly. He helps you to live it rightly in order that you can be the godly person that God desires you to be. Does that mean we're not going to fail? Sure, we're going to fail. Sure, there's going to be times we're going to fall into sin. 
But the reality is, it's not God's best for your life or my life. And so David just calls upon God, say, God, I just want to confess. I can't push my sin aside and say it's not me because it's me. It's all me. It's all me. I, I gave in to the sinful desires that I was born with. And God, that's not what you want. And then he moves from there to the petition. Notice verse 7 and 12. He wants God to do some things, right, in his life. Notice as it begins in verse 7 through 9, he wants forgiveness. Listen, don't you desire forgiveness with God when you sin? You want to be forgiven. You want to know that everything's right between you and God. Amen? And notice what he says. He says in verse 7, he says, purge me with hyssop. Now, if you don't know what hyssop is, it is that branch kind of looking thing that they would take blood and they would, dip, they would dip the blood in that and they would sprinkle it on the altar. We first ran into that when we had the Exodus. You remember when in God came and delivered the nation of, of Israel out of Egypt, he said to take some hyssop and put it on the doorpost of the house. And so we run into that and that became something that they use inside the sacrificial system. And so he says, God sprinkle blood on me. Like the Bible says, right? Without the shedding of blood, there is no, no forgiveness of sin. And so he said, God, just purge me with hyssop. He said, and I shall be clean. He says, that is purified. Now notice this is a similar to the previous verse, right? Except it's in reverse order. Clean me. Then he says, wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. He says, verse eight, make me hear joy and gladness. Do you know why he wanted joy and gladness? Because he was in misery. His sin was bringing him down. His sin was crushing his life. And isn't that true when we sin? We can't truly honestly say when we're in sin that we're happy, <laughs> Right? Now, you may have a sin that's pleasurous for a moment, and you may think, well, I'm happy here, but I'm here to tell you, that moment ends soon. And when it ends, boy, it comes crashing down in your life. And so he says, Lord, make me to know or hear joy and gladness that the bones you have broken may rejoice. That's the weight of sin. He says, this weight of sin has been rough. He says, verse 9, hide your face from my sins and blot out. My iniquities, God, would you please forgive me and cleanse me because this is awful. That's what he's saying. This is horrible. And then he asks God and he petitions God for a renewal. God, forgive me, but then do something in my life. Notice verse 10, he says to him, he says, create in me a clean heart. God, do something to renew the heart. You know, we, were, we sing that song, the inside out. I mean, it's so, so true. We want God to do something on the inside that it changes me on the outside. And here he's asking for God to give him a clean heart. His heart has been blackened by sin. It has been spoiled rotten by pleasure and lust. And he's praying, God, would you do something in my heart to renew it and clean it and make it fresh, make it new, make it your heart. Listen, that's what he desired. He was a man for God's own heart. God, would you do something in my life? Then he says in the text, notice he says, and continuing on in verse 10, he says, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. God, do something to renew in me a right spirit. Verse 11, do not cast me away from your presence. And then he says in verse 11, do not take your Holy Spirit from me. We do not pray that as believers, amen? Listen, first of all, we don't have to be worried about being cast from the presence of the Lord. God said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Amen? But I can sure tell you by experience, 
of my life and others that I've read and talked to, that when you fall into sin, it's like the heavens are closed. Amen? There's something that hinders our fellowship. There's something that keeps us from hearing from God when we're living a life of rebellion and sin. There is something in me that when I sin, I I innately want to tune God out. Especially if I'm loving the pleasurous moment I'm in, I want to tune God out. I was reading last week, you remember, Dietrich Bonhoeffer was reminding us that there's something internally inside of us when we start doing something as crazy as these kinds of sins that, that we sort of tune God out of our lives. And he's like, God, I... I need your presence in my life. And the Holy Spirit would come and go on people. You remember in the Old Testament time, he would, he would come upon somebody. The Bible says that Saul lost the Holy Spirit. The Spirit departed from him. It talks about this anointing of David. And David is saying, Lord, I need the power. I need the, I need the anointing of the Holy Spirit in my life. That's what I need. That's what I desire to have in my life. Listen, for you and I, I would say that what we ought to be praying is, that God help me not to grieve the Spirit, First Thessalonians. Let us not grieve the Spirit of God. And then he says that we should never, ever quench the Spirit of God. That's really First Thessalonians, excuse me. And we should never quench the Spirit of God. In Ephesians 4.30, we should not make the Holy Spirit inoperable in our lives by the sins that we commit. And so we certainly don't want to do either of that in our lives as Christians as we walk with Christ. But then notice in verse, verse 11, as he finishes up, he says, not only cast, don't cast me from your presence, do not, he said, take me from your spirit, verse 12 rather, restore me to the joy of your salvation. If there's no joy, perhaps we fall into sin. And falling into sin will cause us to lose our joy. And so he's asking for a renewal of joy. God, would you bring joy back into my life because my joy is gone. Can I get an amen? Have you ever experienced that in your life? Many times in my life I've had no joy because I fell into sin. There's no joy there. And so he's saying, God, will you bring me joy? And then David finishes up with a, with a promise, but the promise is tied to the forgiveness See, here's the reality. When you and I sin, we sort of stop serving, don't we? We sort of put ourselves on the shelf. We sort of put ourselves in a, in a, in a predicament where it's hard to be a witness. <laughs> Amen? It's hard to be a witness. And notice what David says. David says, God, when you do something in my life, verse 13, he says, when you do that, when you, when you restore me, then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners shall be converted to you. God, I can be a witness when I'm right with you. But when I'm not right, I can't be a witness. When everybody knows that there's sin in my life and I'm living in gross immorality and doing something wrong. Listen, there's no witness. It's embarrassing to witness. That's why when you go to the job, listen, you ought to be very careful the words you say and the things you do around their coworkers because one day you may have an opportunity where you want to witness and God's going to, or you're going to have to shut it down because they're going to say, hey, aren't you the same guy who told that dirty joke a couple weeks ago? Hey, aren't you the guy that uses that filthy language all the time? You know, aren't you that guy that talks about women in inappropriate ways? Aren't you that guy who was talking about stealing something from your neighbor? You know, aren't you that guy that every week, rather than leaving, leaving instruments on tools on the job, you're taking tools home? Aren't you that guy? 
How are you going to be a witness then? You're not going to be. David says, restore. And so you see how it's connected? David's saying, God, when you restore me, I will be this witness for you. So not only will he be a witness, listen, then his worship continues. It's hard to worship God when you're in sin, isn't it? I mean, if David probably didn't feel like worshiping because he was in sin. There's some people who lay out of church thinking, well, when I get my life back together, I'll go to church. Listen, that's the wrong attitude. Come here and let God speak to you through the word and through the music, and maybe he'll penetrate your heart, and maybe in your hardness of your heart, you'll get right with God, and listen, then you will begin to turn to worship again. Because he says in verse 14, deliver me from the guilt of my bloodshed, O God. Now he's reminding himself that he sinned against God by shedding the blood of Uriah the Hittite. God, will you forgive me? He says, He said, the glory, he says, of my salvation, or the God of my salvation, he said, and my tongue shall sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth shall show forth your praise. God, forgive me, deliver me, and then I will worship. I will begin to sing. I will have a song on my heart again. And then he finishes up in verse 16 and 17 by saying, Lord, I want to have a whole heart commitment. Notice what he says in verse 16. For you do not desire sacrifice or else I would give it. You do not delight in burnt offering. Listen, David's living in a time of sacrificial systems. If you go back into the law, you would find that yes, there is some sacrifices required of God when you commit gross sin. By the way, in all truthfulness, David should have been stoned along with Bathsheba for committing the affair. But nonetheless, if you commit sins, there were sacrificial systems in place for him to have to give. But here he's saying, listen, God is looking more not for the sacrifice. Because, listen, you know there were people going to offer a sacrifice for sin, and they were just going through the routine. They were just going through the motion, just like we do. We just go through the religious motion. We go to church. We go home. We go to Sunday school. We go home. You know, we're nice to people, blah, blah, blah. We do all these religious things. God's not interested in that. God is interested in a whole heart committed to him. A heart that's sold out to him. That's what God wants more than the sacrifice. And that's what David is saying. And so he says, God, if, if that's what I knew would be the, the way to do it, I'd do it. But you really desire me on the inside to be wholehearted towards you. Verse 17, the sacrifice of God or what? He says, a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. He's saying he wants somebody who's pliable to the word of God. He wants somebody that he can fashion, he can mold, somebody he can work in, somebody he can grow in Christ. That's what God is interested in. God is interested in somebody who's obedient to him, somebody who will follow him, listen to his will, apply that will to their lives, and walk in obedience. And God is looking for someone who is tender towards God, sensitive toward him and his word. That's what God is looking to. And he says to us, Lord You want a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. These, oh God, I love this. These, oh God, you will not despise. Why? Because God wants them. God desires them in your life and in my life. Listen, I don't know where you're at. You may be in need of forgiveness this morning. Confession is good for the soul, they say. Well, I can tell you one thing. Confession is certainly good in a relationship between you and the Father. But as you come, come pleading for mercy. And I promise the God of mercy will find you. He will forgive you and he will cleanse you. And we're going to lose our equipment, aren't we? <laughs> Let's pray together. 
Thank you for listening today. And remember, you can find more information about Pastor Mike and the church at our website, www.fbclp.life.